Welcome to Mother Vessel, a podcast for women, mothers, and vessels. I'm your host, Mame Nyamachek. Thanks for joining me again on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to today's episode because we are going to talk about a topic that really isn't talked about much, and I'll explain a little bit more in a bit. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you to follow us on Instagram at Mother Vessel, to check out our website, mothervessel.us, where you can also learn more about Mother Vessel, read our monthly blog, Real Stories by Real Vessels, and you can shop our awesome merchandise. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to rate and comment on the podcast. If you want to connect with me directly, send me a message, feel free to send me a message on Instagram at Mother Vessel or via email. You can email me at info at mothervessel.us. Today, I have the opportunity to chat with Chanel White. Chanel is the Senior Manager of Programs and Events for Economic Development at the John Hopkins University and John Hopkins Health System. Chanel holds an undergraduate degree in criminal justice from Coppin State University and is a graduate of the University of Baltimore School of Law. Chanel is active in charitable organizations both nationally and locally, including Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, Cut 50, Dream Corp, and Dare to be Queen. In 2018, Chanel's advocacy efforts were very instrumental in securing the successful passage of the bipartisan criminal justice law, the First Step Act. Chanel is a mother. She is a fashion lover. She is a hair and beauty lover. And you'll get to know her a little bit more on today's episode. Today, we are going to talk about stillbirth. It may very likely get emotional because Chanel is going to be real and share her truth and her experience as a mother and dealing with stillbirth. So let's start. So Chanel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am so excited to have you here today. I'm so excited. <laughs> I am excited too. I am. This friendship goes back to law school. Yes. <laughs> and it's so interesting that, you know, God just has people, you know, cross paths with other people. And now we're going to sit here and talk about being women, mothers, and vessels. No. Isn't that interesting? Especially because when I met you, you were not a mother. No, I wasn't. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Sometimes I have to like think about who I was before. Uh It's so different. It's so different. It is so different. But then I remember you, for as long as I've known you, I've known you as a mom. Like your girls went to law school with us. Like everybody helped at some point, watch them while I was in class, walk them to get food. Then, I mean, listen, everybody. They listen, were in the library, a, <laughs> study rooms. Study rooms. It was a village, child. And yes. it's so funny. Like, seeing you come in with y'all and you yeah. it's like, Girl, look at this. I life, remember. Life has changed, right? It's a whole different mommy. It is a whole different mommy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so. still a beautiful mommy. Oh, thank you. I want to start off with a little game. Okay. okay so I'm going to shoot off about seven questions. Okay. Each question is going to have two 
options. Okay. And you just literally tell me which one I which one you yeah, okay. and you can also explain why if you want to. Okay. Okay. Work vacation or work free holiday? Work free holiday. Okay. Because I, I I love my job mm-hmm. and I love it so much that when I say I love my job, I love my like this is a job I pray for. Wow. This job I feel like was crafted for me. Mm. I get to work and do some awesome things, some things I've always wanted to do. But you know how sometimes even though you love what you do, you need a break. Mm. I won't take a break unless. I do a workless vacation, like just okay. completely unplug, mm-hmm. leave my work phone, leave my computer at right. home because I need to recharge. Yeah. Okay. TV series or movies? Hmm. TV series. Okay. Okay. Now, take out or dine out? Dine out every single time. Okay. Oh, board games or card games? Card games. Hot weather or cold weather? It depends. And I'm going to say it depends on who I'm with. Okay. So, like, mm-hmm. I like hot weather if I'm on vacation with my friends, family, okay. things like that. But I like the cold weather if I'm with my boo. Because I feel like you mm-hmm. okay. So, it, it depends. That, now, okay, now that makes sense why you said it depends. I'm <laughs> it like, depends. how does it depend? It does depend. It depends. That, that changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Audiobook? Or like hardcover. I'm a hardcover. I like to feel the pages. Mm-hmm. I like to smell the book. Oh, really? I, I just think it smells like I don't know, like the library. Like I love a, a smell of a book, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I don't. It gives me like the nostalgic feeling of being back in like elementary school when you had library time. Mm-hmm. To me, I just like a, a okay. hard book. Okay. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Oh, she said that without <laughs> hesitation, guys. Okay, there we have it. I hope that was fun. That was very fun. Okay, so. We're going to dive in and just get to know you as a woman before the titles, before mom, Mm -hmm. before lawyer, before all of that. Who is Chanel? I I think I've been different Chanel's at different times. Mm. So the Chanel I was in high school, the Chanel I was before I was a mom, the Chanel I was after mom, after law school, Mm -hmm. after career changes has all been different. And I've taken lessons learned just from other people, just growing up. Um, I think the Chanel now is, I'm way more confident. Than mm. I've, I've never had an issue with confidence. I've always mm. been outspoken. I'm always the extra extrovert. Mm-hmm. But I think now learning to take that extra extraness mm-hmm. and shaping it into the best version of Anything I can be, like a friend, a coworker, a colleague, um, whatever it is I'm doing, I think that is who I am now. I know I've seen what I've seen, mm-hmm. but I know there's a journey that you've been on. Yes. There's a story. So in general, mm-hmm. overview, what is your motherhood journey? My motherhood journey has been, has seen like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I think... Um, before becoming a mother, you had this thought in your head of the type of mother mm-hmm. or that how your pregnancy would go. It's going to be easy to get pregnant. It's going to be easy to have a baby. It's going to be easy to to raise a child. Or I would never do this as a mother. Mm-hmm. And some of the things mm-hmm. you say you never do, you, you definitely- do. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Because you you're tired. Like, mm-hmm. And I always thought I was going to be like this. Um, I don't know, like this 
perfect mom, but then I was also a different mom to all of my kids. Ooh. Jayla doesn't have the same mom that JL has. Um, and I've raised um, one of my students when I was a teacher at Randalltown. She ended up coming to stay with me through most of her high school years. So I was able to raise a teenager before Jayla was a teenager. Mm-hmm. She got a different mom mm-hmm. then. And even now, she is, she's um, in her mid-20s. And that's still my baby. That's still my child. I mm-hmm. called her my oldest child, even though I did not birth her. Right. Um, she she has, all of them have had different moms at different times. Because, like, I call Jayla. Jayla's my oldest birth child. Mm-hmm. And I call Jayla my struggle baby. Not that, mm-hmm. because she struggled with me. Like, I was a single mom with her. I worked multiple jobs. I was going to school. Mm-hmm. She was my my grind. Like, she... She did not get the mom that could come home. Like, we were always on the move because I just needed to pay the bills. I needed to pay daycare. JL, I have people in place where I don't have to do everything. Mm -hmm. I'm not the one that, I'm the one that delegates. I'm not the one that gets things delegated to at this point. So if I need to make something at her, her school, I can go. If I need to, you know, she needs me to show up, I can go. And I think, you know, that motherhood journey and just, the waves that we have been on has mm-hmm. been, it's, it's been a roller, it's been a ride, a good one. Sometimes it's been like, Jesus, what did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but I would not have, like, my relationship with my girls now is amazing. Wow. So, um, I know we said that today we we're going to talk about mm-hmm. stillbirth mm-hmm. and pregnancy afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, Chanel, if you follow her on Instagram, um, she has shared, you know, I think pretty much the story on Instagram. And she was actually featured on Mother Vessels Real Stories by Real Vessels blog, the October post. Um, That's a pretty short blog, so it didn't go into detail. But today she's actually going to share with Mm -hmm. us her story, why she shares her story um, and let us in into what took place and how it has shaped her motherhood journey, shaped her, and hopefully um, women out there can understand a little better things to consider, things to do, and so forth. So, Chanel, you want to just take it away and let yeah. us know? <clears throat> so, my motherhood journey, so it started with Jayla, like I said, and Jayla was a, um, it wasn't ordinary but it wasn't um it wasn't like out the way or anything like that I didn't find out I was pregnant with Jayla until I was like four months pregnant and just because and I think because of the issue later with little Jacob is Mm -hmm. why I found out about JL Jayla late because I was like it was um I went to get like regular routine blood work I think for life insurance or some sort of insurance at work and they told me that I was like four months pregnant wow so hadn't wow. gained any weight. I still didn't gain any weight with Jayla, like my whole pregnancy. That pregnancy anyway was like really, you know, it was simple. She was a great kid. Jayla taught herself to potty train herself. Jayla has always been independent. She's always been like, what, and I think because she had to grow up quick because I had to, like, I was, like I said, always in grind. The grind mode. Yeah. Um, fast forward, I met my husband and we ended up getting pregnant with our first child. Um, together, my second child, who was a son, Jacob Jr. And that pregnancy was perfect until it was not. And I, when I say it was perfect, I didn't have morning sickness. I didn't gain that much weight. I felt my, I literally, I used to tell people, I am the most beautiful pregnant pe- 
person anybody has ever seen. My skin was bomb. My hair was glow. Like everything. I felt my, I just felt so, like it literally, I felt, I remember thinking that whole pregnancy. I used to tell people, I love being pregnant. Like I love waking up pregnant. Like I love, like, I just, I loved every kick, every pain. I loved everything. With little Jacob, when I say everything was perfect until we had our baby shower, mm-hmm. I was due that next week. Um, and one night, right after the baby shower, you know, you get all the gift cards. We were putting together yeah. the baby's room. So, and I was like, he's about to come any day now. Let's finish. My sister and I went to Target and I was like, he's moving so much. And I just remember not feeling right. I don't, I couldn't really, and I was like, pregnancy, every pregnancy is different. Mm-hmm. I haven't been pregnant in, at that point. It was six years difference between Jayla and Jacob. And I was like, I remember just, um, being like, something's not right. I couldn't put my finger on it, but then I kind of dismissed it myself because I was like, well, he's almost due. Every pregnancy is different. He just was moving a lot. And it was like so much so that I remember calling the doctor and being like, um, He's moving so much. Like, I feel like not contractions, but it's like something's going. She's like, you're almost due his fine. He don't have that much room left. He's trying to make room. Da, 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 da. Don't worry about it. So I'm like, okay. So I go home and I still remember not feeling right. And I called the doctor again and left a message like, hey, can y'all give me a call back? Um, I just want to make sure like, should I come in? Because something just, they like, nobody called me back. I went to sleep. Mm. The next morning I woke up, I noticed that my stomach looked you see a pregnant stomach, it's hard. It's shiny. It's like, you know, it's like a, this looked like a balloon that had deflated somewhat, like an old balloon. And it looked wrinkly. And I was just like, my stomach don't look as, it just doesn't look as full. And I couldn't think, and I was like, I know my water didn't break. And then I was like, okay, well, he was moving all day yesterday. He must be asleep. So I didn't pay no mind. I went to work. I went to work, and as I'm at work, I'm like, hmm, I haven't really felt him kick. So then I called the doctor. I was like, I haven't really felt him kick. Um, I went to drink a Pepsi. She said, drink some soda, drink something, and he'll kick. So then I thought I felt something, but I wasn't sure. So then I went to the school nurse, and she's like, oh, you're fine. Like, it's nothing wrong. I did, She didn't look at my stomach, but she's like, you're fine. She's like, you're almost due. You look like you dropped some. So the baby's like, you know, mm-hmm. you'll probably come. So something told me, like, you need to go and call your doctor, go. And I was like, no, he's not moving. I'm not feeling something move. Like, I'm not allowing my mind anymore to talk me into this. So I get to the OBGU center. They take me back to the ultrasound. And the ultrasound tech is, as soon as she lifted my shirt, she looked at my stomach. Her face kind of changed. And so I looked at the ultrasound monitor and she was like, you know, doing the ultrasound mm-hmm. on my stomach or whatever. And she said, I'm going to call, come right back. And I heard her call my doctor. So when she called my doctor, I called my mother and my mother lived right around the corner from the hospital. And I said, Ma, I think I need you to come to the hospital. I think the baby's gone. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, um, yeah, I think the baby's gone. I, the nurse came back in and I said, I'm going to call you right back, Ma. The nurse came in. She's doing all. She's like, I called your doctor. Your doctor's coming across the street. And I said, you don't see a heartbeat, do you? It was like in that moment, I got so angry and so matter of fact. It's like I knew it. Like I knew it and like everything in me, I knew it. And I said, you don't see a heartbeat, do you? And she was like, and I had never really knew anything about stillbirth. Never knew anything about infant. Like I just mm-hmm. never had like 
nobody had told me a story, but for some reason, like it was like a my senses were just like you just knew. I I just knew. I just knew. So and I I was so angry, like so quick. And I'm not an angry person naturally. Like like it Usually takes a bubbly, lot. That's what I'm yeah. saying. So. She was like, um, I said, you can tell me. You might as well tell me. Cause I, I, and she's like, I can't tell you that. She's like, but I'll tell you you're not dumb. So. That's what she said. That's what she said. She's like, I'll tell you you're not dumb. And then she turned around and I could see her tearing up. So then I was just like, I'm just waiting for this doctor to come across the street. And this is about to be the dumbest thing in the world. So I called my mother. I said, mom, the baby died. I need you to come to the hospital. So the doctor comes in and she's asking me questions. And I was like, I called y'all last night. Like, I, I'm, I'm just had this attitude. Cause then I'm like, angry. cause I'm angry. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I didn't even know who I was angry at. Just anger just came over you. It just came over me, over me. But also then I became irrational because I was thinking like, I can't tell my husband that this baby died. How can I get pregnant? <laughs> And be the same amount of months before he comes to the hospital. All in this moment. All in this moment. Like, I got to figure out how I can get this baby. How I can have this baby but still be pregnant. And then we're just going to have a baby. We're just going to have a baby because this is this is stupid. Like, the baby will be here next month on this due date like it's supposed to. Like, it was so many. Like, I felt like as irrational as that mm-hmm. thought was, it was so rational to me in that it moment. It made sense. It made sense. So... The doctor was like, so unfortunately, um, you've had a, uh, you're having a stillbirth. She's like, and the baby has passed. The baby, there's no heartbeat. We don't know why this happens. She's like, so you have two options. You can either stay here and we can induce your labor or you can go home and wait till you go into labor yourself. And I said, why? I said, why would I go? Why would you, why would I want to go home and go into labor by myself? Like, have, like I said, what does that do? And she's like, I mean. She's like, you know, if you go home, um, I said, well, what is that going to do? Like, what is it going to be today, tomorrow? She's like, we don't know, but you, you get to make that choice. And I said, take the baby. Because it was just like, to me, I said, him being in there, they were telling him like, it'll, he'll begin to deteriorate because he's not, he doesn't have any oxygen flow. So I was just like, well, just take the baby. Cause then I'm thinking if they hurry up and take him, he'll come out alive. Like they're wrong. Like, cause I'm thinking like, it's, it was so many thoughts that had gone through my head that I was like, just, just take the baby. He's going to come out. It's going to be fine. So then I called my husband's sister. I didn't call him and I called her and I was like, I need you to go get Jacob. They saying the baby died. Don't tell him anything until he gets here. Cause we don't know yet. And she's like, what you mean? You don't know. So the nurse is like, the nurse talked to her and then I remember her get back on the phone. She's crying. She's like, I'll pick him up. So he, she goes to pick him up. My mother comes to the hospital before I got from the time I got from the ultrasound, the doctor's office, which is across the street to the hospital, to the time I got to my room, one of my oldest friends, Keisha, was there. My sister was there. One of my other best friends, I call my sister. My mother was there. Jacob came in later. His dad, both of his dads were there because he had met his birth dad not too long before this happened and then his dad that raised him. And then we just had all these people in the room. So I'm just like, all these people here. And it was the day, the day that all this happened was the day that they were giving me a surprise baby shower at work. Oh so my gosh. I didn't find that out until after. So we get to, um, we get to the room. They go to put the, the fetal monitor on you. And then the nurse said, well, we don't need it. Cause there's no, we can't like, there's no heartbeat. So I was just like, here we go. So they start the labor process and 
and this is why I support, I'm so glad that they're, they are shining a light on prenatal care with black women. Because mm-hmm. they were looking back, there were so many things that went wrong in my situation where I know if I were white, would have been different. I know if I were older, that would have been different. I know if my doctors had been black, it would have been different. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like mm-hmm. it was just a chain of things that were aligned for it to go the way it went. And I, and I do think later it was for a reason. It was for a purpose. But at that time, it was just like, you just don't know. So I remember, um, so after that, I get into the room. So they start the Pitocin. They tell me like, you know, I'm going to have to go through later, labor. Um, and why I say like, I'm so glad they're shining a light because one of the things I told her, I remember with Jayla, I was in labor with Jayla for three days because I had a slow leak in my water. And I had a, you know, at a at a uh, Catholic hospital, they don't intervene. They don't break your water unless it's been three days. They make everything. They let the body do what it's, what it's doing. They don't step in. So when they broke my water because it had been a slow leak for three days, as soon as they broke it, I immediately shot from like three or four centimeters to 10. Oh, wow. um, I had an epidural with her. So when she's about to break my water, I said, if you break my water, he's going to come. And she was like, no, you're not even, you only dilated two centimeters. He's not, it's going to take a while. And because it's not, um, because he's not active, like, you know, it's going to be longer. So we, we don't need an epidural. Now I said, if you break my water, he's going to come. She broke my water before she could get off the bed. He was coming. So I, I had to deliver him natural. So we didn't have any medication. And that's another, like, it was like, Nobody listened to me from the time I called when I was at Target to the time I called when I was home. So even with her telling me to come in, I had called multiple times before she told me to come in, you know, that day. Then the water breaking was like another thing. And it was just like a series of just things that I I should have advocated for myself. So like when I say like, I regret not doing that, Mm -hmm. I regret not doing that because I feel like things could have been different. So she broke my water. He Mm -hmm. came. I remember, like, so we're going to labor. Jacob is there at the time. And once he didn't know what was going on when he walked into the room. So he didn't know until everyone, I think I asked him to step, I asked, we asked everybody to step out. The doctor explained to him and he just lost it. So, um, and then we had to talk about the name because we were going to name him Junior. And I was like, do you still want to stick with Junior? Like, you know, because it was Mm -hmm. just like. That's how we've known him all these months. Mm-hmm. And you didn't want to give his name away, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like, if we have another kid, do I want to, but then this is still always going to be out. You know, I was right, just like, right, right. I'm going to get emotional, but it's like, do we keep the name? Do we not keep the name? It means um, a lot. It means a lot. He was like, his name is going to be Junior. Like, we're going to keep him a Junior. That's his name. It is what it is. So I'm like, okay. So then... When we get back to the labor, we go into the labor. Everybody's in the room. You know, usually they have like a minimum of people that can go come into the room. So this time they let everybody stand on. So it's like 19 people in this room. I remember I called up my work mom at the time. It was the uh, guidance counselor secretary. She she was up there. She was praying while I was in the living room. Like everybody was there. My mom had one hand. Jacob had another hand. And little Jacob came out. And I remember looking at the nurse and I said, can you please wake him up? And she just kind of like, she lost it. And I was like, at that moment, I kind of knew it was just like when she cried because nothing happened. But he came out. He was so perfect. Like all his fingers, all his toes. He had the brightest red lips. 
he just looked, he was just perfect. Like perfect hair, perfect, like he was just perfect. And it was kind of like, how can something so perfect go so wrong? Like, and I was like, well, what did I do? Like, like, did I do something to somebody? Like, why is this happening to me? Like, cause this is dumb. Like, I just kept on saying, like, this is dumb. So they laid him on our chest and then they gave us, like, they gave us time with him, which, which I liked because it was kind of like people wanted to see him. People wanted to hold him. People that people were crying. It was sad. It was just like up and down. The hospital staff was amazing because they put this. I loved it and I hated it, but they put this, uh, it's a leaf. So if you ever go into the hospital and you see it, you wouldn't know, but it's, it's a, it's a single leaf with a, um, a dew drop on it. And that means that indicates that the mom has lost her baby. So that when the, um, so that when the, when the people are coming to bring food or whatever, like they're, they're a little more compassionate. Mm-hmm. The nurses come in, they know not to ask certain questions. And then the, our head nurse, Miss Terry, who I still keep in touch with to this day. Wow. She had a series of stillbirths. And when she had her series of stillbirths, she started a organization for moms of stillbirth. So she came and gave us a lot of resources. They gave us like a lot of pictures. They gave us a piece of his hair, fingerprint, footprint, like all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was, they let us stay as long as we needed. We could keep having them bring him to the room because he was in the morgue. Um, and they, she told us about this program that paid for almost all the funeral costs for the baby because you don't, you don't expect to, you know, pay for a funeral, but no. funerals for babies are expensive. So she gave us this program. My dad, my mom and dad went and brought the burial plot so he could be where our family was. And then the other program, they paid for everything and then we just had to pay for the casket. So they let us stay. They did an autopsy because Nine out of 10 stillbirths never find a reason. There's never an explanation. It's just something that happens. So they asked if we want an autopsy. We did the autopsy. And then um, I remember asking to see him one more time before we left from the hospital. She's like, well, you already did the autopsy. He's not going to look the same. I was like, I don't care. Like, I want to see him. So they brought him up and he looked to me, he still looked perfect. Like he just, he just, he just looked perfect. So we were about to leave out the hospital room. And then it was Jacob and I, and then he went, he was about to go get the car. And the nurse was like, okay, we got to put you in a wheelchair. I was like, I, I'm not getting in that wheelchair. And she was like, no, we have to. It's hospital protocol. I said, if I sit in that wheelchair, I'm not getting up. Like, I knew if I sat in that wheelchair and let them wheel me out, I was not going to be able to, like, physically. Mm. I think the weight of, like, being rolled out mm. and then not having your baby, was it was too much for me. So I was like, you can push the wheelchair, but I'm not getting in it. Like, I put my bag in it for whatever. I'm going to walk out the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, walking out the hospital. And then they were like, just let her walk out the hospital. Just just don't. So I remember walking out the hospital. I remember getting in the car. And then we went straight to the funeral home to make the arrangements. They were amazing. It was Miller and Dipple funeral home. So what I do every year, I pay for a stillbirth for a family that can't afford it. Because if you can't afford the burial, then you can get, you can cremate your baby. Um, and they give you the ashes. And I just was never a fan of cremation. I'm not, I don't know why. So for parents who can't afford it, then I pay the, the, the cost of them. But Miller and Dipple Funeral Home on Bella Road, they are amazing for continuing to do this service 
for almost zero cause to the parents. Wow. It's, it's like, was awesome. So we went and made the funeral arrangements. They were amazing. They gave us like literally everything. And then we went home. And I remember getting out the car and we lived in this apartment complex and everybody knew I was pregnant. So. Right. Now. Oh, okay. So. And then this is when it starts like, like I was working at the hair salon at the time. So it was a girl. It was like three of us pregnant at the same time at work. Um, Then it was um, one of my best, my best friend's sister was pregnant. She had her, her daughter a few weeks after little Jacob. Then it was like, it just was like all these pregnant people. It was like pregnant people. It was just pregnant people everywhere. So I remember we got out the car to the house and this couple who always like could not wait for the baby to come. was like clapping when I got out the car. They were clapping when I got out the car and I didn't have the baby. And they was like, oh, where's the baby? You got to stay in the hospital. And I just bust out crying. And Jacob was like, um, they were like, oh my God, is everything okay? He was like. And they was like, is the baby okay? He was like, no. And I just went to the house. So my, and my apartment complex at the time was so great. They put it in the, um, a little community flyer. So people wouldn't ask. So people wouldn't, whatever. They didn't give me the community flyer, but I was just like, and then people would like come by or just not say anything, but send like little, cards or these little flowers they didn't never say who it was from but i was just doing stuff to let you know like hey thinking about you but don't want to bother you so it was like that's a community right there it was and i was i was surrounded by some great people but everybody really like went out their way to make sure i was okay Mm. And I think I was, I was in a daze for a while. Like when I went to go pick out something, cause I didn't have any, you know, I have any, I couldn't fit my pre pregnancy clothes, couldn't fit my maternity clothes. And we had to get something for the funeral. And I remember like paying too much. And my sister was like, my sister Sheree and my sister Gia, they just, they were there the whole time. And what Gia did that nobody else did, Gia always made me feel like it was a regular day. Whatever day it was, was a regular day. And I, I, I used to tell people, like, when somebody passes close to you, they would give you the, the oh, that face. Mm-hmm. Or that, like, mm-hmm. and I hated that face. And Gia was the only person who never, she never gave me that face. So she would joke regularly. If I wanted to talk about it, she'd talk about it. If I wanted to cry about it, she cried about it. If Whatever it was, if I didn't want to say nothing and just wanted to talk about what I'm watching on TV, she just had a regular conversation, a regular day, a regular... She it was let just, you leave. She let me leave. Mm-hmm. And I think it was more so that she just... I used to tell people, like, don't make me feel sad if I'm not sad. Mm-hmm. And you coming over here, like, weeping Wanda. Like, I can't mm-hmm. do it every day. Right, like, you know. Right, right. Um, But that was, like, the lowest of the low, the funeral, and Jacob carried his casket from the hearse to the to the plot. Like, like it's just certain things that you never forget. Like, I remember my it was cold outside, but I was so I was hot, and my um the girl's godmother kept trying to like close my jacket. I was like, leave it alone. Like, just mm-hmm. just like I get you're trying to help me, but I don't just just don't touch me. Like, I just not just don't need to be touched and. It's like, you just, I remember we went to the repast and people were coming. It was just like, you know, just, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. But every day it was kind of like, 
I, I will say I was lucky in that I was one of the lucky ones to find out why it happened. Okay. So okay. I had a blood clot disorder called MTHFR. It's a, it's a really long name that I can't pronounce, but you remember it Monday, Thursday, Friday, MTHFR. And it's a protein S deficiency. Basically, my body thinks pregnancy is infection or disease. So it tries to stop or block the pregnancy. So it fills the umbilical cord with blood clots so oxygen can flow to the baby. So Mm -hmm. then it basically like suffocates or kills the virus, what it believes, what your body believes to be the virus. So, and I think that's why I didn't find out I was pregnant with Jayla for so long. Because I think it was just my body fighting off a virus, but not giving me pregnancy hormones or just, I think, I think it was a connection. I think it was a connection. Okay. Um, so once they got the autopsy back and they told me, they said it's blood clot disorder, but it only affects you during pregnancy. So when I ended up getting pregnant with JL, from the day you get pregnant, you take Lovenox or blood thinners and you take, you inject them into your stomach. So that it can stop the blood clots. So it's a high risk pregnancy. You go to the doctor three times a week. You do an ultrasound to make sure you don't have any blood clots. You do a biophysical and then you do a regular ultrasound just to make sure that the baby is growing, that you're not having anything. And then you go, they deliver the baby or induce you at like 35 weeks, 36 weeks. So that's by knowing that you have this. Correct. So, and I think by knowing this, and this is why I always tell people, especially black women. So, the reason why they didn't know I had it is because they don't test for it in black women or Asian women unless you've had six miscarriages in a row or a stillbirth. And I think part of that reason is they say it's because black, it's not, doctors say it's because it's not prevalent in black women or Asian women. But black women and Asian women are the two cultures who are taught to not discuss your medical or not discuss anything specifically, but more so your medical history. So they don't want to tell you don't want to tell nobody if you got a uh, abnormal pap smear. You don't want to let nobody know if some of you got lumps in your breasts or cysts or fibroids or whatever. They tell you, oh, you don't want to tell, don't tell anybody That's all your business. business. That's mm-hmm. your business. Don't tell anybody. And those two cultures have been groomed that way. And after I lost little Jacob, I found out three of my mom's sisters all had stillbirths. My aunt Bonnie, my aunt Norlene, and my aunt Lil all had stillbirths. And it was just like this thing that was hush-hush. And it was like, well, if y'all would have told us, or if you would have let us know, we could have let our doctor know, and we could have been tested for it. Because the test cost $75. That's it. That's it. Like, I would have paid the $75 to avoid everything else. And ironically, my cousin Chanel, her name is Chanel too. Oh, that's so interesting. So interesting. <laughs> Three weeks after I lost little Jacob, she had a stillbirth for the same no. reason. She had a, she was having a little girl. Stillbirth for the same reason. Three weeks later. Yep. I tell everybody, tell them you have the trait. Tell them it runs in your mother's side of your family. Just tell them because it's not that the data doesn't support it. It's that they don't have the data because we're not telling them. We're not openly discussing our medical history, our family's medical history, and we might not even know it. Mm. So, and you said six miscarriages in a row. Six miscarriages in a row. So you could have five miscarriages, Mm -hmm. and you could have a somewhat normal pregnancy, even if the baby is premature. Mm -hmm. If you've had a live baby, 
and then go on to have five more miscarriages. They still would not they test you. Test they won't test SV6 in a row. I think it's just as prevalent in black women as it is in white women. I don't mm-hmm. think it's more. Mm-hmm. I just think because we're so secretive about our medical history with even our own family members, especially our daughters, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they don't know to check. So I tell the girls everything. like They know everything about my medical history. And because I want them to go to the doctor and I want them to get the best care you can, you can, you can have. You keep holding it to yourself. They're not. So when did you learn about this history? Was it when little Jacob's situation happened? That, and yep. then that's when, that's what everybody was said. like, oh, yes. it happened to me too. Exactly. It happened. To, and exactly. you're probably like, wait, why? Right. Why are you t- saying it now? Yeah. But then even at that time when they were saying it, I didn't connect it until the doctor gave me the autopsy results. And okay. told me that it's prevalent on the maternal side of the family. Like, it's a trait that's, that's passed down by the mother. It's this. And then my mother, her sisters, my grandmother, mm-hmm. her sister is how you start connecting the dots. And then I realized that had all of y'all said that, I would have had the test and I would have been given the same thing that I was given with JL so that she could get here safe. So, do you think? having the aut- autopsy also help connect yes. everything. Yes. Because I know sometimes we're like, people don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Like, should I, do I need to, what's the point? I, I say yes, mm-hmm. because even though it's, um, it worked in my favor, um, even not knowing sometimes things just happen. Right. And to, to know that there's also nothing wrong with you equally is right. kind of reassuring okay. Okay. because, if it's something that God just ordained for it to be whatever, then for whatever reason, that was his will for that child. You know what I mean? So it wasn't an, an amount of eating more vegetables, exercise, whatever. And I drove myself crazy until I got the autopsy results, thinking of every little thing I did wrong. Mm. And sometimes it's that you did nothing wrong, that it was, it was what happened was going to happen regardless. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so I think the autopsy gave me that peace so that I knew if I was going to decide to have a, to, you know, have another baby or yeah. not. So I was, I was fine with, with whatever the outcome. I was just happy to have an outcome, like yeah. have an answer and get the information and get the information. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So, but I also think, um, because black women are the number one race that have heart conditions or blood clotting issues or, whatever to know that as well has has changed a lot of things just lifestyle wise okay okay um just how you operate being more cautious mm-hmm. about things you feel like in your like when i'm flying wearing compression socks you know just things and i think yeah. knowing those things yeah. helps and now to be in this space and be he would have been 16 this past october mm-hmm. so october 17th he would have been 16 so it's kind of like i'm grateful for that journey and it also made me appreciate pregnancy different. And I remember this, I, I, when I was, it was one of the guidance counselors and she had this thing in her office and it was like two. And literally that's the first thing that popped in my mind when they told me he passed. After I was like the anger part or whatever. And I used to go in her office all the time and read this plaque. And it would say something like, to understand the value of four years, ask somebody who just graduated college. To understand the value of one minute, ask somebody who just missed the, the plane. And to understand the value of 30 seconds, ask somebody who just missed a car accident behind them. 
And then one of the things said to understand the value of nine months, ask someone who had just delivered a stillborn. Mm. That, and I literally, I, don't, I, 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 I have not seen that quote since, but she had it on there to just to say valuing like time. Time is mm-hmm. time is priceless. And I remember like that quote stuck out. Like it just like it just gave me chills. Like yeah, it just like literally stuck out to me because then I thought like I literally cannot get pregnant before this man gets to the hospital right, and be not. Yeah, you were yeah, thinking yeah. like okay, how can I get yeah. pregnant in like probably nine it, minutes? Right, like, right, right. Go through it. Still be nine months. Oh god, it's like it's so dumb. But yeah, so like to the, to think of like all of that was like it was it was it was something. Well, thank you for sharing that. You are welcome. Because I think as women, we hear stories. We hear of postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. We hear of stillbirth. We hear of miscarriage. We hear of those things. And it's like far away. Yeah. It's it's not going to be knocking on our door. Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to happen to me. Yeah. Right. And then when you hear someone go through and share their story just like authentically and transparent the way you did. Like I was, I was going through some emotions inside. Cause I'm like, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. It's, I didn't know I, what I was going to do either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you you know, know. yeah. And just like one thing I, I found as I was listening is as if it's still very vivid. I remember every detail. Like I could tell you what color my nails were. I could tell, like right. I could tell you were just mentioning some things, and I was like, as if it like just mm-hmm. happened like yesterday, and you can literally yeah. like picture it right now. Some days it is like what I think of him. Some days it is like it's in that moment, and you have you you ever go through a loss, and you and you feel like that, like it's like a feeling in your stomach, mm-hmm. in your heart, and mm-hmm. you just like. Mm-hmm. Some days it's like that. And some days it's like joy. Like I really got to carry this. This person who I never get to meet, but I'm always going to love. Always. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. Once again, thank you for You're being welcome. open and transparent. And I think you talked about how gaining some information helped you mm-hmm. with your next pregnancy. So with having that information, number one, let me know, like, is this, do we want to try again? Okay. And, and at first you go through, and anybody that's been through a loss, I don't care if it's eight weeks, six weeks. If you're yearning to be a mother, I think the loss is the same. Like I was in this mm-hmm. support group um, on Facebook online and they would kind of discredit early miscarriages, like eight to 12 weeks from mm-hmm. then people that miscarried 15 and 20 weeks. Then it was people. And I'm like, if you are dying to be a mother and that is your goal and you are not fulfilling that goal, your feelings are going to be the same. Whether you are six weeks in one day, 38 weeks in two days, you're still grieving the loss mm-hmm. of this being, this person, of this life. baby of life. Yeah. And I, I had to like get out of that group because it was just like, y'all are doing a lot. And y'all are discrediting people and you don't know what they're feeling. So I think, um, number one, understanding, like, is this something we want to pursue again? Um, And I went through this stage where I just wanted to get pregnant quickly. I wanted to, at the time, irrationally, you think you can replace it. And then the feelings of the loss will go away and it doesn't. Um, And I kept, we would have like a, phantom pregnancies and one thing they didn't tell you is like you have phantom kicks after you have you have phantom kicks after you have a stillborn more more likely 
that you had them after you have a stillbirth or a loss because your mental is not grasping that there's no baby here. Mm. So your body will actually, like, it's a baby still in there. Um, so I learned about like the phantom kicks and I was like, I just got to get pregnant. And then really, then it, I reached the point where I was like driving. I was like, I have to stop. I have to stop. Like, I just gotta, I gotta take a step back. I gotta stop. Um, and when I stopped is when I got pregnant and he actually found out on father's day of the next year. And I was like, let me just take this pregnancy test and see. Like at that point I kind of just made peace with like and started feeling like myself and started eating and started it was okay to laugh because I felt bad for laughing I felt bad for having good moments I felt bad for whatever um because I thought I still needed to be sad and therapy grief therapy helped a lot with that um and then took the pregnancy I came back pregnant and I was like I need to call my doctor like because I was nervous from the moment it came back positive I was like scared to walk. I was scared to take a step. I was scared to do anything because I thought anything I did would make the baby leave. The doctor's office, I went to a new doctor who I love, still my OBGYN. I love Dr. Silverman and Dr. Jacob Stein to this day. A little shout out. And okay. (laughs) They are the best because they were compassionate. They knew I was scared. They took every precaution. I could call them with any. I mean, I would call them with the stupidest things. I got hiccups. Do I need to lay down? Like, and it was like because I was so nervous. nervous yeah. Um, and then I had with JL, I had what they call night night anxiety because I lost him at night. I could not go to sleep. When the sun went down, I was up and would be up all night until the sun came up. There, I was so afraid that if I closed my eyes at night to go to sleep, that the baby was going to pass away too. I could sleep okay during the day, not long, but I could get some rest. But at night, oh no, I could not. Your body just My body would not. So like my friends at the time would each take a night and stay up with me and talk to me all night because they knew I couldn't sleep. And I would just be watching movies. Like, I mean, I was up. So my job was like, don't come into work. We'll let you know when we need you. Like when I say everybody made sure that I was like good, like, Mm -hmm. They they did. That I sounds like a really good support system. No, I really did. I really did. So, um, literally from the day you get pregnant or they confirm the pregnancy, you get blood thinners. So you give yourself needle injections in your stomach. Um, and you do it. I did it twice in the morning, twice in the evening. So I did four shots a day of blood thinners. You go to doctors twice a week until your twenty week, your regular appointment, and then your ultrasound appointment. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if my doctor just did that for me. Or whatever, but I had twice, a, two times a week, and then once I hit twenty three weeks, I went three times a week. Okay. Because twenty three weeks is when they intervene and do life saving measures mm-hmm. if you go into preterm labor or whatever. Um, before that, they won't intervene because the the likelihood of the baby surviving is extremely low. So twenty three weeks, you do three appointments a week. So first one I did it was an ultrasound where they check your body, your legs, and stuff for blood clots. The next one, and that was at the just a regular ultrasound place like advanced radiology i saw my doctor my regular doctor once a week just for checkup um check your stomach measure like your vitals i mean not to interrupt but Mm -hmm. while it sounds good in the sense that okay they are taking it was nerve-wracking yeah like they're taking the precautions they're making sure that your health is priority and you know you and the baby i can only imagine the emotions it was so Every doctor's appointment, I thought they was going to tell me something bad. 
So then every, every week, it's every like week. two to three times a week. Two to three times a week. And then they do, the third visit was the biophysical. So with the biophysical, um, they put the, the monitor on you. The baby has to kick 10 times within a certain amount of time. Then if the baby doesn't do that, then they do the ultrasound and they watch. The baby has to breathe up and down. Their chest has to go for 30 times in one minute. So if they don't do it, they give it like three times. Then they admit you to the hospital. JL was JL was a stubborn. I, I, I keep on saying like this was God's like way of testing me. She tested me so much. That's why she's the perfect kid now. <laughs> she gave she gave us so much. Every week we got admitted to the hospital because she never passed the kick test and oh she never passed the biophysical test. So every week you had to stay for two nights a week because they monitor you for 48 hours to make sure that she's okay. She did it every week. I had to stay at the hospital for two days while they did the monitoring because she never passed her biophysical. Not once. (laughs) She was like, forget that test. She was like, (laughs) JL was like, girl, she just did not. So then, and then she's like the sweetest girl. Like she's now. literally, JL has been the perfect <laughs> kid. She don't get in trouble. She's so helpful. She don't talk back. Everybody loves her. Like she's the perfect kid. Mm. But she gave me every week. I was like, this baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at thirty-two weeks, they give you the um steroid injections because they know they're going to take the baby early. You can't go into labor with with blood thinners in your system. Mm-hmm. So they know they're going to take the baby early. So at like 32 weeks, they give you the steroid shot so that the baby's lungs can mature. At 35 weeks, they test to make sure that her lungs are stable enough because that's when they're going to, they're going to induce the labor between 35 and 36 weeks. Okay. So we go for the amnios and tesis literally at 34 weeks and six days. Because my doctor at the time was pregnant and she she was going out, but she wanted to be, I wanted her to be the one to perform the amnio and she wanted to be the one to perform the amnio. JL would not let them take the fluid to test her lungs. She kept grabbing the needle. She kept grabbing the needle. So to the point, so I, I asked them, I was like, well, what, what is going to happen if y'all stick her? And they said, like, oh, she'll move. Like, she can't really feel it, but she'll move. They're like, we just need the fluid. And JL kept turning towards the needle. So then they turned off the lights and put a flashlight on one side of my stomach because the babies can see light. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, the flashlight will draw over here. We can pull the floor mm-hmm. from the other side. Mm-hmm. She would keep turning to the needle. It's like, really? She kept grabbing the needle so that they could not draw any fluid because she was holding it. So they couldn't suction out. Like, it wouldn't. So it was, they were like, we're going to have to induce you today because it's basically, we know there's fluid in there, but it's like, there's no fluid in there. We just want to be safe because of what you've already gone through. We're going to induce you today. So they gave me another steroid injection. I was like, I'm getting my hair braided today. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm not supposed to have her until next week. I was like, I got to get my hair braided. I got to get my nails done. I was like, she cannot see me ugly. I was like, I literally, this is like my thought. So they induced me. So I was like, Jacob, 
Go home. I need gel. I need this. One of my friends came up. She's a makeup artist, Candace. That's my girl. She came. I was like, I need you to come do my makeup. I was like, and bring some gel. Bring some. I'm, my hair is a mess. Listen. Okay. I did not have my backpack because I thought that we were going to do right. the AMEO, go home and do all this stuff. And now I was going to have my induction date based on the amnio. I was going to my induction date like the next day and I knew it was going to be within that week. So I like had, I'm going to get my feet done when I leave here. I'm get my nails mm. done. I'm get my hair braided. So that way I'm going to have this baby by the end of the week and they took me and I was like, no, you have to go now. Soon as they admitted me though, that's the first time I slept comfortably because I was on the monitor. Throughout this whole pregnancy. Throughout the whole pregnancy because I knew she was coming. I literally was not out. And, of course, you slept, but I did not sleep for those 35 weeks. I would take mm-hmm. catnaps. I would get when my body was exhausted. Mm-hmm. But I did not rest. I, was, mm-hmm. I did not rest. Mm-hmm. So, they admitted me to the hospital. So, everybody in my job is excited because they went through this loss with me. And now everybody's like, oh, she's having this baby now. So, they were excited. My mom is excited. My sister came and did not leave. She did not leave. She did not leave, and when she went to leave, that's uh, well, I'll say that in a second. But anyway, so we get to the room. I'm just excited. I'm like, the baby is coming. My girlfriend came. She did my makeup. She did my makeup so good. The nurse came in the room and walked back out because she didn't realize I was the same person. Okay, friend. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't realize I was the same person. And she, um, she came in. She did my makeup amazingly. And then I just felt like, at a certain point, I felt like this peace. Wow. Like, just like I'm having, like, I'm finally having my baby. And when my sister was there, like, all night, and she's like, she was sick. She was laid on the couch. She was like, the next morning came. She's like, I got to take the kids to school. I'm I'm leaving. Jacob was there. But she's like, I'm leaving. This baby ain't coming today. So, literally, my sister went to get on the elevator. She got on the elevator. The doctors walked in the room. He's like, you didn't feel that your baby's head was out? I was like, no. Her you head serious? was like, all of this was out. Like, the whole crown of her head was out. So, he was like, your baby is out. Because I had the epidural. I went to sleep. I was, I think I was between the epidural and between rest. I was so tired. Yeah. And my sister went to get on the elevator. And when I called her, she had got off the elevator from literally, like, going from, like, the, we were at uh, Sinai. Not Sinai. Yeah, Sinai. From getting on the elevator, like the fifth floor, she gets to her car. I called her and she heard JL crying and she said, I'm going to beat her up. Because <laughs> JL just came, like, it was the easiest delivery. She came out, she was crying. Oh, thank God. She was like, it, it was just like, we just couldn't believe it. she came two days, a day before her sister's birthday. So they're a day apart, January 29th, January 31st. So they only had the one day between them. It was such a different experience because I, you know, with Jayla, with Jacob, and then now with her and all the precautions we took and this like being so safe and mm-hmm. like all the mm-hmm. doctor's appointments. And then you finally got to understand like how much women like go through because every, each one was just so different. It's very clear that you are a vessel. I thank you. You are a vessel. And as I... Reflect on Chanel's story. I can't help but think about advocating for yourself, speaking up for yourself. A lot of times women, we we, we may call it the gut feeling, the mm-hmm. intuition, or whatever you want to 
identify it as don't suppress it. Nope. Speak up. Get the help you need. Talk to your moms. Talk to your aunts. Talk to them and learn from them and experiences and what can whatever you can take from it. Because we're here to help each other out. We are a community. We're all women. We're all mothers. We're all vessels. It just may look different for us, but there's something we can take from one another and help the next woman, the next sister, you know, your daughter, whomever may be out. So advocate, research. I think Chanel, she took us to medical school during this (laughs) episode. I learned some things, but research and find out so you can know what you need um, as you go through your journey. I hope that you have been blessed by this episode just as much as I have been. Um, I know I have a lot to think about and just reflect. I thank you for joining me on this episode. Until next time, continue to shine and thrive, vessels. All right, later.